This message comes from NPR sponsor Harvard Business School Executive Education, where the brightest minds in business come to learn. It's your time. Go. Learn how HBS is advancing women leaders at hbs.me women. Portrait of a Lady on Fire begins with a woman named Marianne assigned to paint a woman named Eloise. It's the second half of the 18th century, and the portrait is the best way to present Eloise to a man who might marry her. In writer and director Celine Siamah's film, it's relationships between women that are at the center of the story. A story about art, sex, and navigating limited choices. I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're talking about the wonderful Portrait of a Lady on Fire today on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. So don't go away. Support for NPR and the following message come from Netflix's Contoto. Presenting Brown Love, a new podcast that aims to bring together the best and brightest of Latino Hollywood to get real about the industry and all the things Latinx communities are talking about on your timeline. Each week, the show features a roundtable of Latino actors, including Diane Guerrero from Orange is the New Black and Jessica Marie Garcia from On My Block. New episodes of Brown Love drop every Tuesday. Subscribe now where you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. You just met Glenn Weldon of the NPR Arts Desk. Also with us is Marissa LaRusso of NPR Music. Welcome back, Marissa. Thanks. It's great to be here. And also with us is our friend, the writer, Katie Presley. Hello, Katie. Howdy. It says howdy right here on my script. (laughs) I'm getting (laughs) predictable. It's like we know you say howdy. Uh, We are here to talk about this beautiful movie, again, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So we are in mid to late uh, 18th century Brittany. So these are all French people. And uh, it is Marianne, who is played by Noemi Merlon, and Eloise, who is played by Adele Anel. And Marianne has been hired to paint Eloise, but Eloise doesn't know because she doesn't want to be painted. So they actually make Marianne her companion. And then she goes and secretly paints her at night from memory. There are a lot of beautiful dresses. They're in this house by the water. It's very beautiful. Glenn, what did you think of the film? What I really liked about this movie is how unselfconsciously, how confidently it tells its story. And, not for nothing, how blithely, willfully, super hyper-mega-French it is. It knows itself so well. It knows that if you wanted to parody this film, it is giving you all the tools you need. You would just have to do a scene where these two amazing actresses are just staring at each other, and one <laughs> says something like, your presence is made up of fleeting moments that may lack truths. But they don't speak English. They don't speak French. English with a French accent, no. You can or, think of it that way. Or one of them says, have you known love before? Yeah. Pause, 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 stare, 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 pause, pause, pause. <laughs> Wait. You know, that's the film. <laughs> uh, because, uh, but the thing about it is, uh, CMA's tone is so unsentimental and clear-eyed that the story, the love story, feels grounded, it feels earthy, it feels real, uh, it feels hot. And it's not swoony and ethereal as I, as I feared it would be. And the film is about navigating gender roles, which makes it sound a lot more didactic than this film turns yeah, out to be. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because just take, for example, its treatment of abortion, which I cannot remember a treatment in a film that is so warm and empathetic and humane. And frank. And frank and, and fair-minded. That's the thing. The, the film is not using it 
to sensationalize anything. It's not using it to cast any judgment on anyone. It is simply a way to see these women's lives. So yeah, I really dug it. Yeah. Marissa, what did you think? I thought it was really beautiful and a really moving story. I described it to a friend as being made up like maybe 75 to 80 percent of wistful stares and <laughs> long gazes, which is not a dig because I think like, you know, a lot of queer women would say their lives are made up, you know, 75 to 80 percent of the same thing. Especially probably in the 18th century. Totally. And I thought it was just lovely to see a film about women at this time period that showed their joy and their happiness. It's not necessarily like a fairy tale ending. And I think we could unpack the way that it's part of a tradition maybe of movies where queer people long and long for something and don't quite get it. But this movie was really focused on their solidarity and their connection. And I found that really beautiful. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because, you know, you're talking about the kind of longing and longing. And I felt like, at least from what limited, you know, information I I have about that time period for queer women... I felt like, you know, it's not necessarily fair to write this movie and say, like, and at the end, they live happily ever after and open a bookstore and everything is fine. (laughs) But I but it's also nice to me that it's not rooted in constant tragedy. Mm -hmm. It's, It's not a film where you're just waiting for what monstrous thing is going to befall these women. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going through this experience of like Marianne is painting Eloise and they're sitting and walking and talking and ultimately, you know, even in a period piece, like everybody sitting around naked in bed is kind of feels contemporary in a way because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you kind of get out of the the trappings and stuff. Katie, what did you think of this film? My favorite thing about it is how it decided what, the female gaze meant to it. So you hear this a lot when a filmmaker is a woman, especially telling the story of women. You hear about the female gaze, which is, of course, turning the male gaze on its head. And movies will deal with this differently. This movie, I think, had a brilliant premise for setting up what the female gaze would be, which is that, at least at the beginning, Marianne is looking at Eloise because she needs to memorize her so she can covertly paint her at night from memory. Right. So they start out not know well uh it's it's a one-sided one person knows what's going on and the other thinks she just has a foxy walking companion right sure <laughs> and so the camera lets you look at Eloise and think okay we've got to pay attention like what does her mm-hmm. ear look like is she going to get it right you know in 8 hours when she's painting by candlelight right it takes away some of the potential sentimentality of just gazing at each other because everyone's beautiful and it leads to you questioning as you watch like I am unmistakably a woman looking at a woman or at least you know watching this screen which is the eyes of a woman looking at a woman but is it that I'm falling in love or is it that I just need to pay really close attention to the curve of her chin Mm -hmm. and I think it does a really interesting job of making literal the experience of falling in love, which often you have that sense of like, I'm focusing on these really tiny details about someone. Mm -hmm. And as Katie mentioned, you know, at the beginning, Eloise doesn't want to be painted. So her mother arranges that Marianne will be her walking companion. And she doesn't know she's also going off to paint her at night. So you get that kind of the way that when you meet someone and you aren't sure whether they return your affection, you're kind of surreptitiously studying them all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's it kind of makes that literal without seeming heavy-handed, I thought. And it takes a lot of things that could wind up being 
kind of overly on the nose metaphor mm-hmm. about painting and seeing and, you know, representations of people. But it always feels this movie always feels just very airy to me. If I may make a comparison between this movie and Hustlers, another thing <laughs> you about- may. <laughs> Um, Another thing that I think is fascinating about the female gaze is in Hustlers, you have a lot of scantily clad women. And so what's interesting is what the camera does and what the camera is showing you is these bodies are working. Mm -hmm. They're beautiful and they're scantily clad and sexy, but they are doing work. And the way that that showed up pretty much directly the same way for me in this movie is when we see Marianne's hand, and it's not her hand, we'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. When we see the painting taking shape, we're not seeing the James Cameron Titanic like six brush strokes under the boob. We're seeing (laughs) what seemed to a non-painter as kind of random sketches. Like, this isn't pretty yet. These are weird charcoal lines. And this is like a blob of green on more green. And maybe that will eventually look like a ruffle. But right now, I totally don't understand it. It's the process. It's the work. And that subverts the part where we have to stare at a beautiful woman and judge her. Yeah. I checked uh, after seeing this film if it was based on a novel because it has that richness. But of course, Mm -hmm. it isn't. And I should have known that because this is such a purely image-driven, imagistic, uh, cinematic film. And uh, just by the way, trend alert, those uh, scarf face masks things are so hot and such a better way to get through flu season than a surgeon's mask. And you're going (laughs) to see them on the Metro, I guarantee you. They are so hot. (laughs) The whole idea of covering and revealing in this film, Mm -hmm. I think, is almost like magical visual because you see there's also the way that they originally reveal Eloise, her oh, her face. So smart. You have a kind of a long stretch in which you're just anticipating what she's going to look like. And you're so accustomed to like when they're trying to hide someone's face, it's like it's going to be Robert De Niro. <laughs> like, it's, it's hard to sort of, you know, but they're using it in a very different way, which is just the pure anticipation of what someone is going to look like, not because... The point of this is it's going to be revealed to be a famous actor or, you know, the guy you thought died on last season of Criminal Minds or whatever, (laughs) but just because the pure anticipation of the person. Yeah. And Glenn, on your note about the masks or the kind of face covering, I read in an interview that Celine Siema said that she wanted that scene where each woman is removing the covering over her mouth to be a nod to the idea of consent and that these two women are on equal footing with each other and that they're both agreeing to enter into this relationship. And I thought that was like a very beautiful and not extremely heavy-handed way to say, hey, look, these two people in this relationship are equals. The kind of patriarchal power dynamic that they might be experiencing in romance in other parts of their life uh, isn't present here. Yeah. yeah. You know, the first time they hook up, it feels weird to call, call it hooking up with her. <laughs> <laughs> this many bustles in a movie. But uh, the first time they hook up, we pan away to the gently wafting curtains. And I was like, huh. You know, I was getting a Call Me By Your Name vibe from that. Because that sure. movie got a lot of critiques about just making the sex sort of uh, implied. Then later on, we get to see, you know, a, a lot more. Um, all those scenes where they're just lounging in bed, which is so smart. Something that a lot of uh, American filmmakers don't spend a lot of time on. But European filmmakers tend to, just because I think they're a little bit less hung up on nudity and things like that. But it's that is where love grows, right? Exactly. I mean, sex is fleeting. Lounging is forever. Yeah. And I loved I loved loved how much time we spent with just those two women in bed. Yeah, I agree with you so much because so often in an American film, what you'll get is 
even if you get like a lot of the sex, then you'll see the people like in the morning, the man pulling his pants on Mm -hmm. or, you know, the woman sitting there with the sheet up under her her armpits as if it's like there are a lot of films that act like it is more explicit to see a woman in bed, topless, not having sex than it is to show a woman topless having sex, Mm -hmm. which never makes any sense to me. Like, why are you shown naked and then you have the sheet up under your armpits, which is not a particularly comfortable way to lie around the bed. So it's like because they live lives that are in some ways so, so constrained, mm-hmm. you also get their comfort with each other from the fact that they're lying around naked in bed. I think yeah. that's a big part of it is like this is where they're most at ease. And as you said, love grows when you are at ease. Mm-hmm. As long as we're talking about kind of these women and and how much you see of them, as Katie mentioned, you also see the hand making the art, which is not them. Mm-hmm. It is uh, an artist named Ellen Delmer, and there's a piece in Vice in which she talks about making several versions of this portrait. They actually filmed her painting, so that's actually her hand. And I think that's part of why, as Katie says, you get such a authentic sense of this painting taking shape is that it's an actual like painter doing it. It's not like where, you know, they teach somebody how to play enough piano that they can, you know, fake Plunk. you know, yeah. clunking around on the keys. You have an actual painter. And I think that's one of those things that's hard to fake. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the kind of sensuality of this movie, what was going on with the music for you? What did you think of the complete lack of a score and the presence of I'm going to say some insane <laughs> singing on the beach. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't notice the lack of a score, which might be why I was picking up on why it felt sort of real and not sentimental. Mm-hmm. That might be factoring into it. But yeah, that was a fun scene. I think, too, it gives us a sense of what these women were experiencing in their lives. Like, Eloise longs to hear music, and in her day-to-day life, she really doesn't have access to it. And so as a viewer, you also are cut off from that kind of art and beauty that these women maybe would have access to if gender roles were different. Right, totally. Well, I think we all liked this movie quite a lot. It is out in kind of your, maybe your local art house theater. If you don't happen to have one, it will undoubtedly be on streaming before too terribly long. Again, it's called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We all liked it a lot. And that brings us to the end of our show. You can follow Katie at Love is Maroon and Marissa at M-R-S-S-L-R-S-S. Thanks to all of you for being here to talk about this great movie. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. And of course, thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. If you have a second and you're so inclined, subscribe to our newsletter. That's at npr.org slash newsletter. We will see you all right back here on Friday when we're going to talk about the Netflix reality series. Love is blind. Uh (laughs) (laughs) You might know Nick Kroll from his very raunchy animated show on Netflix, Big Mouth. Are you the puberty fairy? The puberty fairy? I'm the hormone monster. I'm not a fairy. Well, now he's starring as a romantic lead in a movie set at the Olympics. Actor and comedian Nick Kroll. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Is your note that you wanted me to read the haiku that I wrote while we were watching this movie? (laughs) That's my note. (laughs) Wait, are they singing? Coastal choral witchery. Two women aflame. Ah. (laughs) Two women aflame.